If you're taking notes, you can write down the title, I Am Needed at the Heart. We're in this new series. Many of you are wearing the t-shirt that says, I Am the Heart. We're just kind of recasting vision, and as we're going into the fall, which is kind of often like the new year um, for the church calendar, kind of just the way things flow, we're just as a community looking at what who we are as a community, what we believe, where we're going, and all those different things. So especially in light of adding another gathering in order to facilitate um, just the growth and be able to provide more and more space for people who want to hear the gospel and uh, be a part of community and things like that. So Daniel chapter 3 is where we'll be the title this morning is I am needed at the heart. I'll explain that in a minute, but let's read the scripture. Daniel chapter 3, verse 8, and we'll read through verse 23. It says this, Therefore, at the time the Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, you know, most of the instruments we use in vessels here at Heart of the City Church, um, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the good guys. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you, now if you are ready when you hear the vessel's worship community and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. If you play the bagpipe Saturday nights, 8 p.m., Vessels Meets and Gathers, we would love to have you contribute to the community. <laughs> Seriously, it's in the scriptures, right? <laughs> and who is the God who will... No, I skipped. Got ahead of myself. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to, to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more hot than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into a burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks and their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fiery furnace. A little bit of context here in Daniel chapter 3. We're at this place in the scriptures where the nation of Babylon had pillaged the city of Jerusalem and had taken the nation of Israel, the Jews, out of their city and taken God's people into captivity, into slavery, into the nation of Babylon. 
Now, the reason why this is important is for each and every one of us, although this was written however many years ago it is, today we still face a similar type of oppression and injustice and tyranny just as human beings. I mean, no matter who you are, wherever you come from, whatever you believe, now that this world post-Adam and Eve is broken and tainted by sin, for all of humanity, until God finally restores it and it's all made right, we live at some capacity subject to oppression and tyranny and resistance and injustice. Now, the reason why that's important in light of the sermon title this morning, You Are Needed at the Heart, is because even as a community, especially in this city, we are facing oppression and injustice. And what I believe with all of my heart, although I think that organizations like CASA or whatever it might be, good nonprofit organizations make a difference in this community, there is no other community or organization like a church that can usher in the type of change that we all really desire in the earth and and no other organization who can do what God is really doing in the earth. So that's why it's so important as the church that you and I know that we are needed in order to make a difference in this community. Again, if you work for a nonprofit or you know people who do, keep doing the work. And the church is not just a place that we gather and worship on the weekends. I'm talking about each and every one of us recognizing the need that we have in the city, the need that we have in this community to do the work that God has called us to. And each and every one of us know what that work is. We know that we're needed. I'm not here really. The ironic thing, someone told me, Connor, we're going to have you preach on you are needed at the heart. And my initial response was, okay. I really, honestly, I didn't know. I kind of was like, hmm, what am I going to say? Because, and this is why I felt that way. I think we all know that we're needed. I don't need to tell you that you're needed. You know that. Just like the Israelites and the Jews, they knew what they needed to do. They knew, one, that they didn't belong in Babylon and they didn't belong under that oppression and tyranny. And they knew that they needed to get back to Jerusalem. They knew that they wanted to walk in God's city and be God's people, be set apart from any other nation in the world to prove and to show that God is good and faithful. But the issue is not that we know we need to do something or we know that we need to be somewhere. It's not a matter of desire. It's a matter of when we face that opposition, when we face that tyranny, when we face that oppression, will we have the resolve to stand for what we believe? So you are needed at the heart, and you are needed in this city, and you know that, and so do I. To the dads in this place, you know the dad that you need to be. For the husbands, you know the husband that you need to be. For the moms, you know the mother you need to be. You know the wife that you need to be. For the sons and daughters, you know the kids that you need to be. It's not a matter of intellectual understanding. It's a matter of, as a community, will we make a commitment in our heart? Will we say, I know who I need to be. I know that that's being challenged and that's being compromised by the person or the thing or the resistance, the injustice that's come against me to try to compromise who God has created me to be. Despite I know that that's happening, I'm going to stand for the person and the community that God's called us to be. Will we stand or will we bow? Just to be totally honest, again, just in light of the difference that the church, just an honest confession, sometimes I don't like the church. Sometimes I don't like me. I mean, I work for the church. And I'm like, ugh, 
I drive myself crazy, you drive me crazy. Just to be totally honest, if you have never felt that way, let's talk afterward. You can pray over me. (laughs) I mean, the church is rough. And we, you know, we have work to do. We got to work some things out. But the reason why, again, this is so important is there's something that God is doing through the church that he can't do through other communities that are not unified like the church potentially could be. And if we can figure this out as a community, if we can figure, starting in heart of the city church, if we can figure out, God, there's only something that God can do in the city that he can only do through us. And if we can take a stand for that, if we can say we are needed in this specific area, we are needed in this specific gap that we can stand in. If we can realize that, I think we can change the city. Then I think that we can change the state of Idaho. I think we can change this region. Then I think the nation will be changed. And then I think if the United States of America, not that if another country doesn't beat us too, it that God won't use that country but we're just the United States of America we have so much influence why would we not take advantage of it but it starts with us deciding not just that we're needed we all know that but will we stand or will we bow will we stand or will we bow a couple thoughts on bowing Where are my notes at? Who knows? First note on bowing if you're taking notes. We bow because of apathy. I think at times, and the reason why this is important, a little bit of a context around this. If we're being honest, as much as we would like to stand all the time, in all circumstances, at all moments, Even sometimes as a pastor, I recognize in moments I've bowed to certain things. I've let the resistance that I'm facing overwhelm me and force me. Because the the reality is, is honestly, it's, it's not that it's not painful to bow. We all know that it's painful to be under the oppression of injustice. But sometimes it's easier to bow than it is to stand. Have you ever found yourself in that place like you've known injustice for so long, you've known oppression for so long, you've known slavery for so long, you're just at this place where, you know, to stand is very, very difficult, and although I would like to stand, although you desire to stand, although you need, you know that you need to stand, we've all just come to this place where it's much easier to bow. But I think the days of bowing are over for this community. I think the days are the days of bowing are over for the American church and hopefully the church globally. But in order to stand, we need to know in some capacity why we bow. And if we can know why we bow, if we can understand, if we can have an understanding and a revelation as to why we bow, God can give us and unlock what it is inside of us that needs to say, I'm going to stand in this area so that I bow no longer and we step into all that God has for us. So this is, I think, at times why we bow. Again, we bow because of apathy. I would consider myself a relatively, at some capacity, hopefully more than maybe I am, a compassionate person. When I see apathy, either in my own self or in other people, I want to take the part of being a shepherd, not the, the hook and the comforting part of being a shepherd, but honestly, I just want to take the rod and just beat apathy out of people. <laughs> You're like, Connor, that seems apathetic. Yeah, I'm a hypocrite. Pray for me. 
But seriously, like I see apathy in people. I see hardness. I see coldness towards the people that they feel hardened and cold towards. I'm just like, especially in Christians, I'm like, who do you follow? How could you be that way? Because it's so inconsistency, inconsistent with the heart and the character of Jesus. But I, as I had this revelation and then God was giving me understanding as to what to say in light of apathy, I really felt like God was like, you know, if you're going to give the rod to other people, you got to give it to yourself. And I don't want the rod. So I'm going to, I felt like there's a different, not, the rod is necessary. Okay, we need discipline. Don't despise the discipline of the Lord. That's what he does to, to mature you and grow you. But for this specific moment, what I felt like to share with you know, even the apathy in my own heart, but those of you who maybe you feel hardened, you feel cold, you've grown apathetic, is that the Lord sees that. And I think he comes to you this morning to say, I know it's not because you really desire to be cold and apathetic and hardened towards people, but you've been so harassed, you've been so helpless, you've been so abused and so neglected physically, spiritually, emotionally, that you have done whatever you had to do to preserve yourself. Because that's our natural, even sinful, honestly, inclination as human beings is when we are abused, when we are neglected, we want to just preserve ourselves. So we allow ourselves to become hardened and cold and apathetic. And I think what the problem with that, it says in Jeremiah that God wants to take us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. A heart of stone is an apathetic heart. A heart of flesh is a compassionate heart. The danger with a heart of flesh, a soft heart, is that you are vulnerable to the brokenness and the torment of this world. The danger of a stoned heart, a hardened heart, an apathetic heart, is more and more you lose your capacity to understand love. Not just love from other people, but love from God. And our primary purpose on this earth is to enjoy and experience the fullness of God's love for us. But when we allow ourselves to become apathetic, when we allow ourselves to become hardened and cold, even though it's risky to be compassionate, even though it's, you, get, you bring yourself into dangerous, vulnerable places where people will abuse you and maybe abandon you and take advantage of you. It's even in those moments that when everyone else has forsaken you, when everyone else has abandoned you, when everyone else has neglected you, the only love that you can experience is the love of Jesus, and it's the only love that meets you in that place. And that's why it's so important for us, because to know anything else other than Jesus' love is to be less than human. So we have to come to this place where we fight against apathy, where we stand against apathy no matter what it costs us so that we can be compassionate people and we can take a stand to worship God no matter what it costs and to serve people no matter what it costs. But if we allow apathy to continue to take control of us, then we will bow to the oppression of it. If you've allowed your heart to grow, to grow apathetic, I really feel like whether it's right now in this moment or as we just continue in prayer and worship, what God wants to do in your heart today is to heal those areas of your heart that have caused you to grow apathetic, the abuse, the abandonment, the neglect, the harassment. I think that God comes to you today, not that a good shepherd doesn't use the rod and discipline us, 
But I really think the Spirit of God wants to come today and heal hearts. The second reason, second reason we bow is because of fear. King Nebuchadnezzar was a scary dude. I'll just be totally honest. If someone said to me, Connor, if you worship Jesus, I'm going to throw you in a fire. Or you can bow and worship whatever. What's your choice? I hope and pray that I would stand for Jesus. I really do. But that's not my reality. And I don't know. I mean, think about this. The only reason why I say that is that we have to understand the resolve of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As Americans, like, the worst thing that could happen is you stand for Jesus and someone slanders you on Twitter. Like, whatever. <laughs> or they send you a scathing email. Or they, like, you know, they do whatever. I don't know. Like, people are weird. <laughs> but we're talking about death here. Like, how much resolve do you have in your spirit? How much do you believe in the cause? Are you willing to stand, or would you rather bow? One of the reasons why we stand is because of fear. We question, if I stand for this, I recognize the consequence of it, and I don't know if I can take that consequence or if God will bring me through it. I feel like for some of you, it's specifically, it is a person or it is a group of people, whatever it might be. I don't know if it's via a relationship, uh, socially or romantically, or if it's a boss or if it's a parent, but you have had a tyrant who has ruled over you, even though they've disguised it as love, whatever it might be. And I feel like all I was supposed to say to you today, and I know it's going to seem really um, underwhelming at face value, but I really feel like because you haven't heard it enough or you haven't heard it recently, but the word of the Lord to you today is you can stand. You can stand. Everyone else around you is bowing. Everyone is saying, no, 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 hush, 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 don't say anything. Just bow. It's easier this way. But it's time to stand. It's time to fight for your marriage. It's time to fight for your holiness. It's time to fight for your kids. Maybe you've been the tyrant over yourself and your family. You can stand today. No matter how much guilt or shame or insecurity you feel over that reality, let it go. You can stand today. You don't have to be afraid. The other thing I felt like, which I think is more of an issue sometimes with the American church and us as uh, American Christians is, specifically within our context, is it's not that we actually have a fear, if I stand, this consequence will happen to me. Again, because, you know, just in light of the context we live in, we have a lot of luxuries and a lot of safety and a lot of freedom. I think that there are things that we need to stand for where the cost is something that's social or socioeconomical or whatever it might be. And we're afraid to stand because we think if we stand, we're going to fail at something and we'll be condemned to bowing again. For some of you, you're like, 
I know what I need to stand for. I know what I'm needed to do in this community. I know what I'm needed to do in this church. I know what I need to do in my family. But you're afraid if you stand that you'll fail at it and you'll be really, really vulnerable and you'll be really, really humiliated and you would rather not stand because of your pride than take a chance at failing and God meeting you in your standing. But we can't stand because of fear any longer. This city, this nation, this world needs us to, to take a stand regardless of our insecurities or our sense of inadequacy because if no one else does it, who will? There is no other spirit or power other than the spirit of God that can give us the strength and the resilience and the power to see actual life-changing eternal change in this world. And you and I possess it inside of us. But if we're too afraid to fail because of what it might cost our egos, then we'll never stand for what God needs us to stand for and we'll miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives. Now, God is going to do whatever God wants to do in this earth. I have no doubt in my mind that it's all going to be restored, that it's all going to happen, and God's kingdom is coming and his will will be fulfilled. But I do have the choice to be a part of it or not. And it'll be a difference of whether or, I, whether or not I actually realize that I'm needed. And then from there, if I have the resolve to stand or if I'd rather bow. Whatever it is that you're afraid of, that fear of failure, take a chance and stand. And if you fail, based on what you think failure is, I don't think that there's real failure in the kingdom of God for God's sons and daughters. I just don't think it really exists. Now, you might make a, a badly calculated decision, or you might make a mistake, or you, know, you might do something that has consequences, but nothing is for naught. Everything that you choose to do, good or bad, in alignment with God's heart or not, if you are willing, if you have a heart of flesh and you're willing to go before God continually and say, God, regardless of maybe I bowed, I'm standing again despite that, he will continue to transform you and renew you and shape you into the person of Jesus. And he'll use everything, even though it's not all good, he'll use everything for our good and for his good to build his kingdom. You know, for all of us, the reason why maybe we even gather in this place where we, we came to know Jesus was not because someone told you how figured out they have it and how good they are and why they, you know, are just such a good Christian. It was because they told you when you're struggling with an addiction that they too once struggled with an addiction, but they've been set free from it because of the love of Jesus. It was because when they told you that they too used to struggle with anger so much they wanted to really, really, really hurt people and you struggled with anger and you were really, really hurting people. But they gave you hope because they said, I don't struggle with that anymore. I have peace and I have joy and I have self-control because the love and the spirit of Jesus that's inside of me and I can overcome that. So then you were drawn to it. But if we're afraid to fail, if we're afraid to take a stand because of, it, because of what it might cost us, then we'll miss the opportunity to know God's love in a deeper way and to help people know it too. If you have fear today, you are needed. You have a role, no matter what you've been through. And you can take a stand. The third thing, we bow because of assumption. 
I was in uh, Tucson, Arizona one time, and we were visiting my sister. She goes to the University of Arizona. Bear down, Wildcat. Any Wildcats in here? No? Okay. <laughs> Moving on. We got a Wildcat in here? Oh, come on. Bear down. That's right. I'm from Coeur d'Alene, you know, like Tucson's a long way away. Anyway, we were in Tucson, and we're at this stoplight, and this really, really severe car accident happens at this stoplight. And I don't know, I'm on my phone, like doing whatever my mom's driving, and my mom looks at me, and she goes, Connor, call the police. And I'm like, let me finish this tweet. But then I look up at her, I said, what do you mean call the police? There's like a thousand people in this intersection, someone else is going to call the police. I think that it's often the downfall and the limp of the American church at times is we just all assume that someone else is going to do it. We bow to something. You know, there's a, an actual term for this. It's called the bystander effect. It's the idea that if you witness something with a bunch of other people and you all assume that someone else is going to do something about it, nothing happens. There's something that you are needed for specifically that only you can do. But a lot of us assume that someone else is going to do it. And if we continue to assume that someone else is going to do it, it may or may not get done. Maybe it will. I don't know. I'm not willing to take the chance. Because I know that I am needed specifically in this community for a specific purpose. Not that it's any more important or any better than anyone else in this room. But I know that it's what I need to do. It's, I know that it's what I've been called and graced to do. And I won't assume that one of you is going to do it. Because you can't and maybe you won't. We can't assume. Specifically, I feel like this for Heart of the City Church. If we'll take a stand, each and every one of us. You know, they say in the church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. My hope and prayer and what we're moving towards, and it might take time, I don't know, maybe it'll change right now in this moment, that 100% of us who call this place home will do 100% of the work that each and every one of us uniquely is called to do to benefit this community. Now it's going to be, continue to be a beautiful, chaotic mess in order for that to happen. But do you believe that it's worth it? And despite that chaos and despite the mess of it, despite, you know, it says in the scriptures that iron sharpens iron. We all love that, right? Iron sharpens iron. Do you understand how iron sharpens iron? Through a lot of heat and a lot of banging together. I think sometimes the church were just like, let's keep it cool. And let's like slowly like, you know, just rub each other. And that sounds weird, but like, <laughs> don't put this on the website. Like just slowly, like, you know, no arguments, no disagreements. If I do have a disagreement or an argument, I can't bring it to the table because this confrontation means that I need to go away from these people. I need, you, you get it? We'll stop there then. But it's going to mean all of us taking a stand, and there will be heat, there will be clashing and clanging together, but we'll be better because of it. 
And I really believe that if we can do that, that we'll lead the charge. Again, not, our church is not any more important than any other church in this community. But this is our community. And you and I need to take a stand. We can't be apathetic. We can't be afraid. And we can't assume that another really, really great church in this community is going to do what we are called to do. Because they're not called to do it. We are. But I think that if we can take a stand, then we'll ignite something in this city. And again, it'll ignite something in Idaho. And it'll ignite something in the Pacific Northwest. And it'll ignite something in this nation. And we'll see supernatural, mighty things of God happen. But literally... You and I both are going to have to be resilient, take resolve, and choose to stand. There's an interesting part. Are you guys tracking with me? There's a, an interesting part of this story. Let me, let me just say this. I understand, you know, the things that I need to stand for are hard to stand for. Like, to be the husband that I need to be, that we all need to be as husbands, and not maybe you're not a husband, maybe you're a young person and you're not married yet, you're still standing for your future marriage. Don't, you know, the preparation process is just as important as the actual goal or desires that you have. You're, you're preparing right now to be the husband and the wife and the son and the daughter, although you don't prepare to be sons and daughters, you just are. But, well, I guess nine months in the womb, I don't know what that looks like. But rabbit trail, bring it in. Um, <laughs> but, yep. This <laughs> is my third service. I'm giving you all I got. Um, where was I at? Jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember. It says in the scripture, I just said geez, right? Did I say the Lord's name in vain? Anyway. It says in the scripture, not only, it would have been one thing, you know, here's the thing about life, even following Jesus, there are fires that we will be thrown into. We got to know that. Sometimes we get like, because we're a little bit afraid to go through the fire, we get a little bit ignorant and we like try to avoid it at all costs. I'm here to tell you, you can't avoid the fire of life on this side of eternity. Injustice is no respecter of men. We're all subject to it. Tragedy is no respecter of man. We just live in a broken world. It says in the story that Nebuchadnezzar turned it up seven times hotter. Maybe your consequence is even worse than that of the non-believer because you took a stand for Jesus. Are you okay with that? Sometimes I look at people who are not seemingly living in God's will or even desire to. And I look how seemingly successful or blessed they are. And I'm just like, why? I don't know. There's no promises anywhere in the scriptures that our life is just going to be all good things in avoidance of confrontation and pain on this side of eternity. Now, we have a great hope that on the other side, that it will be perfect. It won't be, be able to spend literally eternity, which in terms of time, we won't even be able to understand or comprehend in the presence of God. And there will be no pain and there will be no hardship and there will be no more tears. But on this side, there are. But I have good news. Jesus meets us in that fire. But let me bring this point to you in the scriptures. It says in verse 18, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taking their stand against Nebuchadnezzar, and they say that their God is going to deliver them, and they won't serve and bow the golden image. But then they say this. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is where you're really going to have to make a decision in your heart, and I'm trying to make decisions in my heart. I know that I know what I need to stand for, and I maybe even know what's going to happen if I stand for it. And in my humanity, I have a certain outcome that I think is ideal, and I hope that God executes, which probably leads and means for the preservation of my life and blessings and good things. But if you take a stand, it might not always mean or look like what you think it's going to look like or mean. And my question to you is, if it doesn't look that way, are you still willing to stand for what God has called you to stand for? Is there a but if not in your spirit where you're willing to take a stand in your workplace, where you're willing to take a stand in your family, where you're willing to take a stand with people? And if it doesn't turn out the way that you think it should turn out or the way you really desire that it should turn out, although that's not necessarily wrong of you to do, but it may not turn out that way. Are you willing? Is there a but if not in your spirit where you say, no matter what you want me to bow down to, I'm going to stand up against it regardless of what happens. We have to have that. It's not only will we stand or will we bow, but will we stand for the things we know we need to stand for? Will we stand in the areas we know that we're needed? And if it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, I'm going to stand anyway because I know it's what God has called and asked me to do. Here's the thing, friends. We have no control over the outcome. All we have control over is whether we'll bow or we'll stand. Will you bow or will you stand? Is there a but if not? in your spirit. I'm going to invite Seth up and we're going to begin to conclude. It's going to be like one of those landings where the pilot circles around the airport for a while. <laughs> Always love those. They're like, nothing's wrong. Something is wrong. <laughs> where do we want to go? Verse 24 says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, that person who is tyranning, yeah, reigning over you, who's oppressed you, what if you could put it in your heart? I know that this is not easy to do because I know that you've been under a lot of pain and a lot of hardship. But what if you could put it in your heart and in your mind to believe that even that person 
would come to know Jesus. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Hey, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is in a process, okay? We went from throwing people in really hot fires to going limb from limb. I got good news for you. We're all in a process, all right? Seriously, though, I didn't think about this until I read it this morning in the last service. Maybe just to encourage some of you. You were at one point so bad, and then you had a revelation of who God is and his love for you, but you're in this process where you're still like, I used to throw people in the fires, hopefully metaphorically speaking. And now metaphorically speaking, I want to tear people apart limb from limb. Don't be discouraged. Don't tear people apart limb from limb, but keep moving forward in the life that God has for you. No matter how much bad you've done, no matter how much torment you've caused, stand for the God who is your God as well. The God, our God, Jesus, in flesh, who represents the Father, is the God of the universe, the God of all people. And he took a stand for each and every one of us on that cross so that you and I could take a stand against the oppression and the injustice that we're subject to and not just take a stand against it, but we could go through that fire and we could come out on the other side. We're all in a process. Don't be discouraged in moments where you bow. In that moment, just recognize if you got breath in your lungs, if you got something in you, that you still have an opportunity to stand and stand. Because we need you. You can stand to your feet. couple thoughts just in closing before we pray. Nate, if you, or Cheryl, if you'd put that first note up there, that's next. Jesus didn't give his life to meet us where we bow. He gave his life to meet us in the place of consequence because we took a stand. Often in life, Again, we face oppression, we face injustice, we face, we're under the reign of some sort of tyrant, so to speak. And we, we bow to that. And we question God's existence. We question whether or not God is maybe even good. I understand why you have that question. But now in light of the cross, my friend, although God is present always everywhere, you can't escape him, we can't run from him, he sees us everywhere we're at. I have good news for you. If you're willing to no longer bow, no matter how hard it is, I know that you've been beat, you've been abused, you've been whatever. I know that the thing that you gotta stand up against is scary, and I know that there maybe are a lot of other people who could stand in your place, but you specifically have a space and a place and something you need to stand for. But God will not meet you with strength in that place of bowing. Where he meets us is in the place of consequence because we had the resolve and made the choice to stand. 
I only say that because the bowing has to stop now. I say that humbly because I have to stand for things too, and I know that it's hard. But God will meet you in the fire, and he'll meet you in that place of consequence. And that is not only where he'll meet you, but he's waiting for you there. Another thought on standing. Our primary purpose in standing, this is really, really important because if some of you are inspired by this, if God did speak to you, you're gonna wanna stand. You're gonna have this moment of energy, this fire, this passion, and it's gotta be one that's long lasting. And in order for it to be long lasting, in order for it to be eternal, in order for you to stand the rest of your life, you have to understand this. Our primary existence, our primary purpose is not not to stand up for something that we're against, but to stand up primarily for what we're for. Listen to this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not stand up against Nebuchadnezzar. They stood up for God. If you stand for what you're against, you will burn out. Your passion will dwindle. If you're fixated, I heard someone say it like this one time. If you want to overcome sin, stop looking at your sin. We get so sin conscious sometimes. If all we're looking at is our sin, if all we're thinking about is our guilt and our shame, if all we're thinking about is our depravity, then we'll just continue on this slippery slippery slope into our depravity. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, if we see, I mean, envision yourself as the redeemed person that you are becoming. When you are in that sin, don't think of yourself, I know it's, I'm not justifying sin. But think about the restored you. See yourself as that. If you can see yourself as that, that's where you're headed. But if all you see about yourself and all you speak over yourself is death and condemnation, that's where you're headed. What are you fighting for? Not what are you fighting against. If you're struggling with something in your marriage, you're not fighting against that thing. You're fighting for your wife. You're not fighting against the millennial culture for your kids. You're fighting for your kids. Will we stand or will we bow? Now let me say this in closing and then we're going to pray. The reason why we set up those tables in the lobby is because we, we need to stand as a church in service to the church. Now, my primary hope and message to you is that you would just stand as a human being, first and foremost. We're not here to try to manipulate people just to serve the church and forget about, I mean, you need to stand as a man, you need to stand as a woman, you need to stand as a husband, you need to stand as a wife, you need to stand as a son and a daughter. You need to stand for yourself as a human being created in the image of God. Some of you today need to take a stand against something just for you because you believe that God is primarily trying to restore you as a human being and as a result of that, you'll see restoration happen around you, but you need to be restored. At the same time, what I know to be true in my life and the lives of many other people in this place is that one of the greatest ways that I can walk in restoration and I can continue in healing and wholeness and become the person that God has called me to be is when I'm committed to serving this community. 
Honestly, I know that I'm accountable because I'm on staff here, but if I were not on staff here and I were not accountable to serve, I don't know, I hope that I would serve, but I don't know if I would. And if I didn't serve, I would be in a bad place. Because when I'm serving, I have to be the man that God has called me to be. And when I'm serving, I have to be the husband that God has called me to be. And I have to be the friend, and I have to be the servant, and I have to be the pastor. But if I set aside service because I don't see the value in it, then I'm going to go down this road where I'll be someone that God has not called me to be. And here's, and here's why. It's not just serving just to serve. It's not just about being on a team because that's my religious duty. I'm over the fit team which if it were just me, that'd be bad, but it's Cassie and Dean and Steve with me and they're incredible, so the fit team is in a good place, but I'm over the fit team. And you know the reason why we believe so much in the first impressions team? Sometimes the first impressions team gets such a bad rap. It's like, yeah, the greeters or whatever, they're just for people who have no other values or skills or just got saved. That's blasphemy. (laughs) Let me tell you this. What happens from the moment people leave their cars to when they enter those two doors and that Atlantic Ocean of a lobby sets the tone for what happens in this place. Some people come into this place day after day, week after week, month after month, they hear sermons, they listen to songs, they lift their hands in praise, but there's still something not right in them. They haven't broken through yet. And I wonder if it's because we haven't had enough people see them right where they're in, right where they're at as they're coming in and said, that's a broken human being. I can see it all over them. They're all by themselves. They're clearly walking around like it's their first time. Who knows what they've been through at a church. And they're like, I think someone should greet me. We have to see those people. Because what happens out there sets the tone for what happens in here. I'll put down this mic for the rest of my life if it means serving on the fit team. Because I believe so much in what happens in the lobby. I believe so much in seeing people and recognizing them as human beings just with a handshake or a high five, high five, high five, and attempting, doing my darndest to remember names. Even if I got to ask you 10 times over and over again, what is your name? I've heard countless stories. Connor, something changed in me because you remembered my name. I'm here today in this church because I was sitting by myself in that corner and someone walked across the room. Even though I looked broken and they probably didn't want to unravel that Pandora's box of my issues, but they walked across the room anyway because they saw me as valuable and important and needed in this community. Kids Church. Kids Church is not daycare. One of my favorite fashion brands, they printed this t-shirt and it says, the generation who criticizes us has forgotten who raised us. I'm a millennial. I hear all the time, Connor, I'm concerned for your generation. (laughs) I'm concerned for the millennials. What I want to say is, well, then you have two options. Help me or don't complain because you raised me. If you're, if you're a person over 25 or over than whatever a kid's ministry goes to, which is me included, if you have any concern in your heart for the days to come, for God's people, for the church, invest in the next generation. 
Don't express your concern if you're not willing to serve and pour into the kids. It's not daycare. We are training and equipping and showing these little kids that they are valuable and that as the days come when they have to take a stand, that we believe in them because we took a stand and it's our greatest privilege and opportunity to pour into them that they can take a stand too. So are you willing to stand for the kids, for people, for yourself? Or will we bow? And will we miss out on all that God wants to do through our community? I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to invite leaders forward. Leaders, if you want to come forward. I'm going to pray in a couple kind of general ways, but very specific at the same time. And if you agree with me, then I believe that God will do that in your heart. But if you need specific one-on-one prayer, you can come up to these people and you can ask for them to pray for you and they'll pray for you. But if you pray with me right now, God, we pray right now, we lift up any apathetic elements of our being, our heart, our mind, anything that in us, God, that's grown cold and hardened and has put up walls. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us, that you'd comfort us. We pray for healing right now in Jesus' name, God. God, we pray against a spirit of depression and we ask for your peace that surpasses all of our understanding, that surpasses all of our reason, that it would just fall into our spirit, God, and that we would experience the goodness and the faithfulness of you even in this moment, despite our circumstances. God, we we pray and we ask for a heart of flesh, a compassionate heart. God, I ask that you would, just as I could just continue on, that you would give me more and more understanding of the love that you have for me and the love that you have for people so that I could walk in that and I could take a stand. God, and we pray against any fear. God, I pray for each and every one of us who knows the thing that we need to stand up against or the person we need to stand up in front of that we're scared of. We pray and we ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you give us the strength and the courage, God, to take a stand in Jesus' name. We cast out all fear. We release it. We let it go. We lay it down, God. And we pray, God, that you give us the resolve, the strength and the courage, God, to take a stand against the things that we're afraid of. God, and we pray specifically for each and every one of us. I ask right now, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us into all truth and that you would give visions and understanding of the specific things, the specific ways, the specific relationships, the specific areas that we as individuals are needed in to further your kingdom. God, we pray, I I know that you can because you're you're huge and you're good and you're above it all. We ask specifically, God, I pray for each and every one of us, God, give us understanding, give us vision, give us wisdom, and give us the courage to walk in your way. We pray that you do that right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.